This is a WKYT podcast. Happy New Year. It is 2020 and you are still locked in <laughs> to Facebook Live. I'm Brian Milam, Lee K. Howard. We have a couple of things to catch up with you because we haven't seen you in a little bit. We've had a lot go on. Not since last decade at since, least. Yeah, I mean, it's been like yeah. well, last year since yeah. I saw you and talked <laughs> to you. So, uh, But he came back from the Belk Bowl. We had UK UofL, UK basketball getting ready for the SEC portion of the schedule. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, this is a fun time of the year. And think about this stretch, Brian, that we have been through, uh, that Kentucky fans have been through recently with the Louisville win. Oh of course, there's an emotional Shoot. high involved no anytime you beat your rival on the basketball court especially and then the way that the Belk ball unfolded and that improbable season led by Lynn Bowden ended with an eighth victory this has been one heck of a stretch for Kentucky fans both football and basketball two classic games in four days separated by four days UK yeah. L, the Belk Bowl uh, the reaction we have seen via social media of the coaches in the press box banging on the windows uh, the way Rep Arena sounded last week was reminiscent of what it had to have been in the 70s, what I know it was in the 80s and 90s, and with 4,000 fewer people. Mm -hmm. And it took a rivalry game of that epic proportion to get everybody out of their seat, ready to go. I, I'm sure Charlotte was packed with both yeah. Virginia Tech and UK uh, fans, and it had to have been loud when Bowden connects on the only touchdown pass UK has had in what? six weeks six games or something like yeah that. this has been said over and over but it, it bears repeating how fitting was it that Lynn Bowden's final play <laughs> as a Kentucky Wildcat was a pass a touchdown pass that I think took everybody including Virginia Tech off guard and uh, you know maybe that's the only way that they were going to get that win is by catching Bud Foster and Virginia Tech oh. off guard or off hand and and throwing that pass uh, the post pattern to to uh, Josh Ali for the touchdown I mean what a what a cool way for the because that was the that was the go ahead that was the game winner of course right. they scored again but that was the play well that was the play they got everybody going and what I thought about it, it took me a couple of hours to digest everything with that play and one thing I keep coming back to is the following we have so much video of games that we shoot year uh, day in day out and how many times if you go back and think about it did Josh Ali and Lynn Bowden not hook up on a long pass play? Mm -hmm. It went off his fingers, just barely outside. There's a penalty, brought it back. I could go upstairs right now into our video and bring you at least seven or eight, maybe even nine passes where it almost happened. And this one was just a soft touch. Yes. And, and laid and, it in perfect. And let's be honest, Lynn was not the best passer during no. that game. I mean, he, he was struggling through an interception. He was not hitting his targets. And you've got to think, at least in, in most people's mind, in that situation, 19 seconds to play on the clock, you've got to think that adrenaline's running. So, you know, what kept him from just going up there and just airmailing it out the back of the end zone? Right. I mean, for him to put the touch on the ball, finally, for the first time during that game, really, I mean, if we want to be honest, and it went right to Josh Ali. He even described after the game in the post-game press conference how that developed. They had called a run play, and Lynn and Virginia Tech called the timeout, and Lynn said, no, I want a jump ball. And the jump ball was going to go to Ahmad Wagner on the left side out there and just let him go up and try to get it. But when Lynn got back there in the shotgun, he saw the press coverage on Ahmad Wagner, and he knew that Josh Ali was standing over here, and there was no safety back here. Nobody was back, and he knew that everyone was going to be queuing on Ahmad, so he actually looked, out, looked at Ahmad the whole time and got everyone to kind of, 
you know, kind of <laughs> sink over there just a bit. All Josh Ali had to do was beat his man to the inside. He was wide open, no safety help, and there was the touchdown. That was what's imp impressive to me because, you know, we always talk about Kentucky had a receiver playing quarterback, yeah. and he was. But, Brian, this year, Lynn Bowden became a quarterback. The way that he was able to read the defense and make a, make a call and make a play. It, it's just amazing when everybody know everybody knows who's going to get the ball. Sure. Everybody knows basically what is coming, and you still can't stop it. And you talk trash to the best player we have seen. I thought Benny Snell was going to be maybe the best player we had seen in a long time. I think Bowden replaced him in terms of the electricity Bowden can bring. Benny brought you the hard smash mouth, hey, right. charismatic, we're going to have fun, and Bowden glided by people. Rarely took a hit. You know, yeah. he was so fun. And you talk trash to the best player who everybody has motivation for whatever the reason. Motivation is fleeting, except for special kids. And I think Lynn's one of those special guys. And it was almost as if you want to keep talking. Hey, here I am. Let's do. Come on, keep going. Yeah. You want another 61-yard run? Sure. You want another 50-yard run? Sure. <laughs> you know, and I was in Charlotte with the team since Friday. Since right. they got down there Thursday night, I got there Friday morning, and all weekend long, it was a bad blood situation between Kentucky and Virginia Tech. And we've both been to bowl games before. And a lot of times at bowl games, there are joint activities with yeah. the two teams. Maybe like at the Music City Bowl, they'll do a wing eating contest right. or a country music singing contest. They'll do fun activities together and the teams are around each other. And yeah, they want to beat each other. But for the most part, it's, you know, like, hey, what's going on? Hey, we're going to line up. That was not the case at all. The belt ball kept both teams very separated, and I don't think it was because they wanted them to hate each other, but they just had different events, separate events. And then when the, the one time that they were kind of in passing at the Speedway on Saturday and all that came up with Virginia Tech, you could tell that lit a fire under Kentucky, and they kind of held that. And like you said, how were they going to take that emotion into the game? Well, we saw how it played out before the game, not too well. Yeah. But Lynn, Lynn Bowden was able to really use it as fuel during the game. It was uh, a game that will go down in history as one of the few times, I'm trying to think just in the past, I don't think it's happened before, where UK has won two bowl games in the same calendar year. Maybe it happened in All like you know, 50, 51, something like that. But UK, I mean, you win two major bowl games. And I think if you play on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, that should be considered a major bowl game. I think so, too. And there were a lot of eyes, and, and I don't want to touch too much into this, but everybody who was thinking that we should have gone to the Gator Bowl, Kentucky, I mean, I don't think, I think now they realize how that was the correct bowl game for Kentucky yeah. to be in. I think there are way more eyes on that game on New Year's Eve at noon, the only game on, than, than Thursday night, the last night's mm -hmm. game, even though it was a good game. But let's talk about some of those records. You, you just mentioned back-to-back -back bowl games in the calendar year. That had only been done twice ever before. Bear Bryant sure. in 50 and 51. And Rich Brooks did it, one uh, back-to-back bowl right. games when, you know, when he was coaching the Wildcats. Mark Stoops becomes just the third Kentucky coach ever to win back-to-back -back bowl games. And, and when you talk <laughs> about Lynn Bowden in that game, a lot of these stats have been put out there already, but just in case you haven't heard of, 233 yards rushing in that game, the most by any quarterback in any league in any bowl game ever. No quarterback has ever rushed for that many yards in a bowl game. Then the one that's more impressive to me is – he passed Johnny Manziel during that game on rushing yards in a season by an SEC quarterback. Johnny Manziel was number two, Cam Newton number one. Cam Newton still holds the record 
but only by five yards. And he had how many more games? Five yeah, or six that's more the games? Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lynn played eight games. Cam Newton, that season that he won the Heisman, played a full season Crazy and finished with five more rushing yards than what Lynn Bowden finished with in eight games. That, that tells you what, what we were able to see this year uh, on the football field for Kentucky. Let's talk about a little basketball because what we saw also against Louisville in this year's version of the Dream Game, I've watched a lot. I've seen every game since the beginning in March of 83. This one for me was the most exciting because it wasn't. We've seen L in the past rally from a big deficit, lose at the buzzer. We've seen UK rally from a big deficit, win at the buzzer. Patrick Sparks at those free throws. We've seen the unexpected upset when UK wins the national title in 98 and L somehow beats them in 97. Samaki Walker triple double. We've seen Derek Anderson dunk on people. What we saw the other day, though, was for me the most exciting because UK got up, here comes Louisville. Louisville gets up, here comes Kentucky. Near tipping at the buzzer. We go to overtime. I mean, it and was Louisville, great. Louisville goes up by four in the OT yes. period. And Nick Richards, I mean, Kentucky fights back. I mean, you talk about just a back and forth, back and forth. Isn't that what you want from a Louisville or from a rivalry game with oh, sure. Louisville and Kentucky? You know, and I grew up in Louisville, and yes, I, I was a L fan growing up and was for up until about the mid-90s. And then a certain company called Great Communication said, would you like to work for us? And so I, you know, kind of switched colors as I was supposed to. And all I care about is seeing a great game. It was a great game. And I was so happy for Nick Richards, a guy who has for two and a half years, he's been here and then he's been boom. And then mm -hmm. here, boom. And he just could not find it. I hope for his sake the Louisville game was the, the springboard for him to become who Calipari says he is. He, he, no one's like him. No one's this. He needs to be the best big man in the country. I just hope for him this is that starting point where he says, you know what, I've got a good baseline jumper. I can hit a 15-footer. I've shown that I can step out and even hit a farther shot. I can have a hook shot. I'm very good at the free throw line for a seven-foot guy. He is a complete player mm -hmm. if he can just put it all together. The thing that I liked about Nick's performance is he did it in a big game that mattered. Yeah, we've no seen question. we've seen some some peaks of Nick Richards and and kind of got glimpses in the past of what he can be. But a lot of times, no no disrespect, a lot of times it was against you know Fairleigh Dickinson, right? Or you know name your other directional school. The fact that he came out and had that kind of performance, especially in the overtime period when it really mattered against the team that it really mattered against, against some players that were at least as good or better than him in some cases in that position, that's the kind of thing you hope gives Nick Richards the kind of confidence that this team, frankly, is going to need from him going forward this year. No because, question. Because last year, I mean, yeah, he could have his ups and downs, but you had P.J. and you had Reed Travis yeah. that could pick up, and, and whatever you got from him was kind of bonus. Whatever they get from him and E.J. is, is what you're going to get in the post. Yeah, and Therese Maxey with his best game since the Michigan State game, he had come on. He, you could see it start to develop a little bit. Cal made fun of him a little and said, hey, you know, hey, you're one for 17 from the floor, but you're the best guy on the floor, you know. Uh, and he started to turn it on. Now you start to think, okay, what do we have to do here to get a complete team? E.J. Montgomery is still not E.J. Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Khalil Whitney has shown flashes, but he only he, played two minutes. Johnny Juzang has not been the shooter, U.K., has uh, rec UK recruited. So could you imagine if you started to get all of the extras? Right. 
And then what do you have? I mean, you have a really good team, and, and this would be a good time, Brian, for them to really find their rhythm because now, as we all know, once the Louisville game is over, it's the SEC schedule, and that all begins tomorrow with Missouri. Not a great team by any, by any means, and Kentucky should win this game. But that's, these are the kind of games, especially with the SEC being down a little bit, where they've got to kind of figure themselves out, yeah. figure out their roles, and figure out how they're going to play as a team because not everybody, every guy is going to have their best game every game. Like there will be guys that one night score 15 and the next night score 7, mm -hmm. but they can't just not show up. They've all got to be somewhat consistent. I think one thing is good about this Missouri game coming uh, was January 4th compared to let's say you play back against UofL. You win the game and you play two days later, three days later. You've had that UofL hangover. The, we just won on the national stage. I think it's good to get an extra couple of days before you play Missouri because um, you know, there are times when you know, you heard, I can't, I'm trying to think of who it was uh, the other day that I was watching a clip and he says, we are primed to get beat. Oh, it, I'm sorry. It was Roy Kidd, EKU. I was going back and he said, yeah, we beat Western. We beat this team. We are primed to get upset if we don't come handle our business. Right. Well, UK now has had a couple of days extra to get rid of the UofL win, put it to bed, get ready for the SEC because it is now the most important part of the season. Um, and Missouri, well, while they may not be that great, at least on paper, they're going to bring the uh, alley fight to you because Conzo yeah. Martin, they don't mess around, man. They yeah. are going to let you feel it when you come into the basket. Well, they'll come in with their same the same mentality that their coach has, and he's a fighter. Yes, I mean, he is. He, we've seen him a lot. Tennessee, we've seen him at Missouri. And uh, he's a guy that, that's going to have his team ready to play. Hey, Brian. Huh? We're looking over there, Brian. Brian, you talk. I'll, I'll just act like I'm yeah. talking behind you. I'll just you. act like I'm looking at you. Yeah, Cut away, I, don't, I, don't think they're, I don't think you're paying attention back there. Uh, <laughs> keep talking, Brian. There hey, you go. Hey, go there we go. Um, but um, anyway, uh, so, so that's a, a big basketball game coming up um, tomorrow for um, the Kentucky Wildcats in Missouri. Real quick, the Kentucky women's team, they opened SEC play on Thursday mm. night. Yeah. Not an easy one. way to start the, the season at fourth-ranked South Carolina. Um, and, and like it is in most years in women's college basketball, it's like the top five teams are on this other level. And South Carolina is certainly in that group. And, and Kentucky really, really had a tough time there with uh, the Gamecocks. But they've got Tennessee now. So it doesn't on get Sunday. much easier in terms of a rivalry here. Exactly. Does not get much easier. And this is a very big, tall, talented Tennessee team. So Matthew Mitchell's team, I know you, you spoke to him today. Yeah. And uh, they're going to have to get things turned around quickly. Yeah, Matthew just said, look, it's basically against Carolina was just an all-systems failure. Just one of those things that happened. And uh, you have to learn from it. So you've got tomorrow, you've got UK men and Missouri at 2 p.m. Reparita. Sunday, 4 p.m., UK ladies in Tennessee. So it's that time of the year where, okay, you've made your New Year's resolutions, you've had your Christmas, you've had your Thanksgiving. Now we start getting serious because of the turn of the calendar and we're going to wake up here in just a couple of weeks and we're going to be saying, hey, how about that SEC tournament? Oh my goodness! You know, all that yeah, fun it's stuff. kind of crazy to think it's that 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 quickly. All right, let's. Can we end on as kind of a serious note? Of course, uh, the the passing of yeah, Houston Hogg. It's been a tough first three days in the sports world. It really has, and, mm -hmm. and you can go ahead and take this. But Houston Hogg, one of the one of the four pioneers, yeah. um, one of the first four 
African-American uh, football players to integrate the University of Kentucky and the SEC on the football field passed away last night mm -hmm. uh, after a battle with melanoma. But, um, you know, certainly our, our prayers and thoughts are with his family and his friends. But uh, talk about someone who made a, a, a lasting impact on not only this University of Kentucky, but on the entire college uh, athletics world. Sure. You know, you, you, Houston Hogg was a hazard native, is a hazard native. Played first three years of high school with the Bulldogs and then travels out west to Owensboro and uh, is with Davis County. And he comes to UK amidst an era, if, if you think the political culture right now that we see is volatile, Let's go back yeah, 50 years compared to that. Let's go. And, and, I mean, this is this is nothing compared to what mm -hmm. the 1960s was like, had to have been like in this country. Obviously, we weren't there. We've seen clippings. We've seen we've read the history books. It was not pleasant. And to have a guy like Houston Hogg and Nate Northington and Greg Page and Wilbur Hackett come to Kentucky right. and set a trend and then see that trend explode into something special. Yeah. And not only that. But you have Greg Page unexpectedly die, spends more than 30 days in the hospital and then passes away. You have Nate Northington the very next day breaks the color barrier in the yeah. SEC. Then he decides he needs to transfer. Houston Hogg decided, you know what, I've gone through the racism in Mississippi. We've gone through this. I'm going to stick it out. Stick I'm not leaving. He yeah. almost left to go to EKU, did not do so, decided to stick it out. But he passes away, and I just think it's one of the neatest, one of the most emotional moments to see a statue being put up. The only statue on that campus, yeah. as far as athletically, that I know of. To see one, you know, you've got, I mean, you know, you have Joe B. Hall outside. That's right. But that's, but, and, and nothing against that, because that's neat. But yeah. that, that's Coach Hall on the bench, unless you are at the Craft Center, mm -hmm. where the kids stay. The dorm, you're not going to see it. You have to make an effort to get there. Right. You don't have to. You don't have an effort to to get to Kroger Field because you're going to see that thing. Yeah. It, it's so big. It was one of the more emotional nights I can remember seeing people who are still alive being honored. And I think that's one thing we have to honor those who are um, in their latter years of life. Mm -hmm. I think it's necessary. Unfortunately, we've had tragedies like in July when Jared Lorenzen passed well before he should have gone. But you live to be 71 years old, Houston Hogg, you play at UK, you represent your state, you have movies made about you and Nate and Greg and Wilbur and a statue made. I just think that is a complete testament to what you had to go through. Yeah, and, and that, what you have set the cornerstone and the stages for what we see today. And, and I was just watching an interview that we did with Houston Hogg back in 2016 when those statues right. were put up there on the campus outside of Kruger Field and him talking about how at the time they didn't realize what they were doing was to the magnitude. And of sure. course they knew they were going bucking the trend essentially and, and doing something. But I don't think any of them could think far enough ahead to now to like what that would have meant. Right. I mean, that's unbelievable to be able to just, you know, I'm just going to do what I think is right and look at the impact that it's had. So, like I said. And there's no way they would have known the impact. Let's let's think about this. It's easy to get caught up in the romanticism of it. Sure. They were 18 years old. Right. Yeah. They were 19. They didn't have this. They didn't have all of, all of these bells and whistles we're looking at here. It was just straightforward. You know, hey, I, I'm just here to play ball and right. go to school and get an education. I'm not caught up in what could happen 60 years down the road.
Yeah. So like I said, our thoughts and prayers certainly with Houston Hogs family, friends and all those uh, that, that knew him. Um, certainly. So um, I guess that'll that'll do it. Up. Yeah, we've got to get back to work. We've got high school basketball tonight, the 2020 edition of game time, the first one for game time this year. And we will see you then and see you here in about two hours as well during the sports for Lee K. Howard. I'm Brian Milam. Thanks for watching. We'll do it again next Friday.